Welcome to episode 344 of We Don't Die Radio. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the international best-selling book called We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. Before we get started on the show, if you haven't heard, our friends at IANS, which is the International Association for Near-Death Studies, will be having an online conference August 14th through 16th in 2020 with over 60 presenters, including my Myself and our guest today. There are many speakers on different t- topics related to the afterlife. Uh, it's a low price, and you'll be able to get the videos on demand after the event if you can't join live. So you can visit IANS.org to find out more. That is I A N D S.org to find out more. Our guest today is Claudia Watts Edge, who had a profound near death experience in 1984. She has been researching NDEs and spiritual phenomena for over 40 years. She's kept her own experience private until just a few years ago when it was shown that it's finally time to share the wonders of the other side. Claudia has now written two books, Gifts from the Edge, Volume 1, Stories of the Other Side, and Volume 2, Lessons from the Other Side, both about her time spent in what she lovingly calls spirit school. She has been called a modern-day mystic with an ability to pull back the curtain between this world and beyond. Claudia is a Utah native, an active real estate agent, and a volunteer hospice worker. You can find out more about her at ClaudiaEdge.com, or if you're on Facebook, type in Gifts from the Edge. Claudia, welcome to We Don't Die Radio. Thank you so much, Sandra. What a nice intro. I sure appreciate that. Well, I sure appreciate you willing to be our guest today. And I have a big <laughs> smile on my face right now because you are a gift. Me too. Yay. Yeah. So how does it get started, your story? I know your NDE was back in 1984, but could you just tell us a little bit about you and prior to well, that? Well, it sure gives away my age, that's for sure. <laughs> that's all right. We're all young at heart. There we go. Well, my experience, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of start with childhood experience. I had a very normal um, growing up, uh, but something happened at 16. I lost my dad, and I was I was very, very close. Uh, he was my hero, and um, it really affected our family. And I... I kind of checked out of the world for about a year and a half after it happened. Um, the grief period and just the um, the amount of grief that I suffered. I at, at sixteen, you think I would be dating and wanting to learn to drive and you know all of the wonderful things, and and I just kind of looked at other people living their lives and every time I heard someone laugh it was like how dare you laugh how dare the sun you know rise the next morning after this devastating event and so I spent well and as I at at his funeral I looked at his body and knew that he that the essence of who my father was was not was not there I really recognized um, that this was a shell that I was looking at, and I wondered where had he gone? Where was my father? Because he wasn't there. And um, 
I remember looking for him at the dinner table, um, possibly uh, sitting by one of us or hugging, you know, putting his arms around my mother's neck or whatever. I was so sure, um, not in just a religious belief in the in the afterlife, but um, there was just something that I just knew there was just so much more. It was just um, something within me. And I would look for him everywhere, and I grieved for him everywhere, and I believe it it kind of blocked his ability to probably reach us because it was a deep grief. But this is, um, I believe, was the catalyst for my searching. Uh, this was in 1969, a week after um, the astronauts uh, landed on the moon, and so... Big events there for a 16-year-old. Mm -hmm. But I, in the 70s, I started uh, seeing more and more publications, Dr. Raymond Moody, um, books on um, near-death experiences. And I just read everything I could get my hands on. It was, uh, it was just something I, I knew I had to learn more. There was a, just a, a drive within me to know more. And this is how I spent my teen years. <laughs> then after a while, you know, some of the grief subsides and you start living again. I, you know, got married and had children. And um, at, uh, in 1984, I was giving birth to my uh, uh, fifth child, my fifth and last child, an absolutely normal pregnancy. And... Um, I had a contraction about, uh, I believe it was a day or two before my due date. And so this was a full-term, um, uneventful pregnancy. But I this contraction just lasted. It lasted. My abdomen was absolutely rock hard. And it went on for hour after hour after hour without releasing. And I started to become distressed that perhaps my baby was in distress and um, from this. And so I decided to go to the hospital. And, um, basically they, they decided that they would keep me, but they wanted me to just to walk, wander around the hospital and, and, uh, check in every now and again to see how I was doing, because this was my fifth baby. It was probably going to happen that night, but it wasn't going to happen fast. Mm -hmm. And they let the doctor know that, uh, you know, roll over, go back to sleep. She's going to be a while. <laughs> and so, um, I, I walked away from the desk and to the elevator to, to begin a walk around the hospital and something, there was a, a wheelchair sitting by the elevator and I, I sat in it and I said, I, I just can't go on. I, I need to stay close. And my husband was kind of, uh, you know, they just told you to walk around and you've only gone a few feet away and you're sitting. He was kind of in question of, that decision, but I said, you know, I just don't feel right. Something, something is telling me to, to, to stay close. And I ended up walking back within about under 10 minutes back to the nurse's station and told them that there, I just had this feeling something wasn't right. And so they gave me a gown and, uh, sent my husband off with a clipboard and, you know, all the insurance forms and all that good stuff. And it was just as I was donning my hospital gown, um, I noticed blood dripping onto the the uh, tile floor of the hospital bathroom. And I thought, oh, my goodness, this has never happened before. And I rang for the nurse and, 
and she was um, calming me down saying, you know, this, this is not a big deal. Don't worry about it. But at the time, um, within just moments, it was like a bucket of blood just poured from me down my legs, onto the floor, onto my feet, onto her feet up. It was, um, it was, it really was like a five gallon bucket. It felt like there was so much, so much of it and it was everywhere. And as I was in the process of being in shock and looking at it, I noticed her face and I thought, oh boy, you know, we're in, I'm in trouble. <laughs> she pushed me down on a gurney and started to call a code red. And um, uh, they were trying to find a, a doctor within the hospital that, um, um, in the OB and then, and then just calling for any kind of help because it was, it didn't stop. It just kept coming and coming. And I was, I was bleeding out. I had no, I felt no pain. I was laying on this gurney as the, uh, as they found an intern and, um, his first reaction as he looked at everything that was on the floor and that is, she's got two minutes of blood left. And I thought, wow, you know, I went from healthy young mother, mm -hmm. excited to, you know, welcome a new little person into my life to, um, this is how it ends. It was, it was really a crazy couple of minutes, you know, to change that, um, uh, thought pattern, <laughs> you know, and, uh, they ended up, they needed to, um, they couldn't get a heartbeat on, on the baby. And this was at the time that we, you know, you didn't know what you were getting in those days. You got a surprise at the delivery table, whether it was a girl or a boy. Right. Um, but they were, they decided that they needed to take the baby right now. And they, in the examination room, they basically, uh, started surgical procedures right there. There was no time for an operating room. There was no time for anesthesia. Oh. There was absolutely not even an aspirin. <laughs> you know, I, we were going to go, we were doing this pioneer style. And, um, I, I just remember as I saw him pick up a scalpel, um, I just said, please save my baby. And, uh, he proceeded, uh, to, uh, my belly was exposed and he cut, he began cutting between, um, stems, stem to stern. And I thought, you know, it stung. It wasn't pleasant, but it wasn't horrible. And I have a high tolerance for pain. And I thought it's going to be okay. I'm going to, I'm going to be okay. And there were several nurses that would come and take my hand and, you know, make sure that I wasn't wiggling around. I mean, I wasn't even strapped in or, you know, any of the oxygen or any kind of the pre, um, you know, things getting ready for surgery. It was surgery in the raw, <laughs> so wow. to speak. And so they held me down and, and, uh, it wasn't until, um, uh, I noticed a nurse nearby that she was getting armfuls of this long gray rope. And I wondered, for a moment what that long gray rope was and realized it was my intestines and about that the exact same time. I mean, the pain was 
on you know you hear this in NDEs that there's no words to describe you know what you saw on the other side there's also I can't find words to describe the pain that I was in um I literally was trying to run out of my own body you know I wanted to run away and and if my body had to stay there well I was going to leave it there <laughs> it yes. was it was bad and um I noticed that the ceiling had lifted in the room and the walls were becoming fluid-like. Um, they were kind of wiggling uh, like like a wave of water or something. And they were closing in. And I was lucid enough because, you know, I, I, they, kept, they kept trying to pull a sheet over my eyes to kind of, I think, protect me from everything that was happening to me. But I would, as they held my arms down, I would just use my fingers and just grab hold of the sheet and... And kind of try and just grab little inches of it so I could at least get my eyes from out of the sheet. Because I thought, if they pull a sheet over my head, I'm going to be dead, right? That's what they do when, when you died. I thought, I'm still here, and I'm still very lucid throughout this entire process. And I kept thinking to myself, why can't I faint? You know, you you hear of the southern bells or whatever that, you know, they get the vapors and, you know, swoon or whatever. And I, I literally was screaming inside of my own head, faint, you know, please faint to get away from this pain. And, um, but I didn't faint. But eventually I was, uh, I kept feeling this tug from behind. And as the, the walls formed more of a tunnel I noticed a, a, a darkness my I was losing my vision and um, I actually looked up at the light to make sure that the lights were still on in the room and I could tell that they were but it it, it my vision was not improving at looking at that at these lights it uh, I was um, entirely losing my vision but my ear my ears, my hearing became a lot more acute and I could hear um, things happening all over the hospital, conversations and, and uh, phones ringing, you know, just the general noise of a hospital. And I was trying to focus on keeping my heartbeat, um, that rhythm slowing down. I didn't want to let myself panic because I thought every time my heart beat, it was going to push out more blood. And so I was really trying to be um, cooperate, and at the same time, every cell in my body wanted to climb away from this pain. So it's really kind of an oxymoron there. But um, eventually, yeah, eventually I did climb out of my body. I um, I exited hearing music, and it wasn't the type of music that you would think. I was I at uh, I don't know about it, at least in Salt Lake City, Utah, as I grew up, we, the news was on at 10 o'clock, and at 10.35, uh, they would play MASH, the that programming and, and the song, you know, that uh, Suicide is Painless, I think the song is da-da-da-da-da-da, you know, you know it. I know all, the song, I didn't know that was the song. name, but <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was hearing that and it was a bit of a calming force in everything that was going on. And when I did leave, exit my body, I was kind of searching for the source of the music. And I, I looked at what was happening below me. 
um, I had heard that my uh, baby um, was gone and um, the scene was so gruesome. I just, I, I found myself having no interest in, in it anymore. I was over it. Um, and I kind of just left the, the scene of my body without having even a thought that I was leaving a part of me behind. I was very much me. I, I was me. And whatever was happening below me was was over and it wasn't it wasn't me that was laying there um i had i was detached from it as 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 if it was the outfit i had worn that day and was leaving it behind it had served me and i was moving forward and i found myself i floated through a wall didn't even didn't even think i was i was uh, excited that i was floating but it seemed completely natural something that i knew i i just knew how to do and i'd done it before or something because i wasn't even surprised to find myself floating and easily went through the wall into the waiting room where my where my then husband was filling out these forms and mind you it's only been a couple of moments a couple of minutes that all that our lives had entirely changed and I looked at him as he was holding his you know driver's license pulling it out of his wallet and holding this clipboard that you know he had no idea what was going on in in the other room and he had no idea at that time of what uh, the fate of myself or or our little daughter um, you know was was taking place there so I felt a bit of a bit of sadness at that, um, just knowing what was coming for them, but not really sadness for myself um, that this had happened to me. And I continued floating, looking for this music, and I found myself in a patient's room. He was kind of in and out of sleep, um, and the television was playing this music, the, you know, the intro into this show. And I, I want to say I stood there. I don't, I don't really, I mean, I, I was beside him. The fact if I was floating or whatnot <laughs> didn't enter my mind as well. It just seemed natural. But, I, but what I did notice was that he didn't notice me. I was there beside him and he had no idea. And that's when the thought hit that I was dead. I, I was dead. Was, and as soon as I thought that, I went into a um, a darkness, a blackness, um, an absolute void, except for those are just not, like void is just not the right word, because this blackness had, was alive, and it was holding me, and comforting me, and hugging me, and just making everything better. It was so loving and knew me personally, what my needs were. And it ju- I just felt like a, a cuddled, swaddled baby in its arms. And the comfort was so grand, I could have stayed there forever and been absolutely satisfied. Um, and I don't know how long I was there. I don't. Um, I don't know how long I I died. Um, 
I was told that I died. It wasn't even a guess. I, um, the, the hospital staff, when I did, um, well, I don't want to jump ahead of my story. I was in this vastness, and I could hear a voice calling my name. Claudia, Claudia, come back to us, Claudia. And it was so annoying. This um, voice was so loud. It just seemed very irritating. And I just cuddled up more um, in this darkness um, and trying to kind of, you know, get away from this noise. And it kept coming out, you know, Claudia, wake up. You've got, you've got a beautiful baby girl and she needs you. And after a few moments of just hearing, hearing, hearing this irritating voice, I, I answered back. I said, you know, my baby died. I know my baby died and I don't want to come back. (laughs) But as soon as I used my voice and began to speak, I, I found myself back in my body and I was, wasn't too happy about it. I have Mm -hmm. to say, um, but they showed me a Polaroid picture of my daughter and, um, she was absolutely beautiful. Um, they were worried about, um, because they had to resuscitate her. She was gone. They, they really had to watch her for, um, you know, it's like if she makes it this hour, if she makes it two hours, if she makes it the night, um, every, every, um, moment that, um, in that hospital with her was, was, was precious. And, um, she, I, I'll add here, a beautiful baby girl, absolutely perfect. And she's now given me two beautiful twin grandchildren, um, so she turned out great oh, wonderful. <laughs> from this experience. Um, for me, this was a, um, a long road back. I had wondered what it was that, uh, that had happened. How had I gone from such a healthy young mother to dying in just a few, you know, in just a few minutes. And the doctor explained um, that the placenta had exploded, I guess, during that contraction or whatever it was collecting blood and that wasn't releasing and at one point um it was all it could take and it exploded and it sent um living shrapnel throughout my body i had to have a hysterectomy and and it was months of trying to to um fill fill back up with blood basically had many many transfusions and that over the next um next few weeks in the hospital. Um, and I became kind of famous in the hospital because they would ask me, you know, what, what did it, number one, what did it feel like, you know, having this surgery without any kind of anesthesia? And it was a, um, a learning hospital. And it wasn't that I didn't have, uh, that I uh, was opposed to answering any questions they had, but I had very few words to explain that kind of pain. You know, you kind of say, um, it really hurt. <laughs> you know, it mm-hmm. was um, kind of empty. And um, the second question was, you know, did I see anyone or, um, you know, what was the other side like? And um, as hard as the first question was to answer, this, this question was even harder for me because at, growing up in a, religious community, um, you know, I'd always associated 
um, you know, darkness with bad and light with good, you know, good and bad, good and evil. And I, I didn't understand that I had died and not seen my father. Why wasn't he there to greet me, you know, take my hand and, and whatnot. And I felt the anticipation of, especially my mother who missed him so much, I know how, why he wasn't there to greet me. And I could see in her eyes, it was like, it would have been wonderful to be able to say, I saw dad and he looks great. And, you know, he's waiting for us and wonderful things. And I, I couldn't offer anything. And so I, I felt shame in my experience, not, not from, because, um, hard to explain, but it was like, I would push it down because I didn't want someone else to come to a conclusion that I must be bad, that I went to some kind of hell and, you know, that I missed that opportunity of seeing my father and whatnot. Um, so it was very confusing and I, I spent the next 30 years still interested in where do we go? What do we do after this life in, in, in many aspects of, of to me, the, the entire spiritual picture, um, the, the drive was still there, but the, the showing of, um, or the explanation of what I went through, I kept completely to myself. And it wasn't until I was, um, one night watching a program, it was called um, I Survive Beyond and Back. I don't know if you've ever seen that, Sandra. I haven't. I've heard of it, though. Yeah. I turned on the on the TV. It was probably about 7.30 one evening. And the show is so compelling. They, they go through three different NDEs. It's an hour-long program. And it was so beautifully done. I... I found myself at four in the morning going, I should probably turn this off, but I, I couldn't move. And during this programming, one of the um, people being interviewed uh, uh, named uh, Deirdre Maltby, D, um, her, her story to me was so real. I could, it was like, I, I, I could just touch it. I could feel her emotion and know when she said that she had seen God, I, I believed her with every cell in my being. And she was from Colorado. I was living at Col in Colorado Springs at the time, and she was in Salida, Colorado. And uh, I just, I knew right then I had to find her. And I, I feel like as we grow in this work of the light and share our experiences in that, that, that like-minded will find each other and help each other and support each other. And I knew that all of those things were going to be wrapped up in, uh, in this person for me. And I did find her and we became fast friends. In fact, it was so fast. She was going to be speaking at a comp in the IONS conference in a matter of a couple of weeks. And we decided to go together and share a room. And she was going to introduce me, you know, around into that community and help me feel more comfort in my own experience. 
And I have to say, I mean, the, the IONS community is just such a wonderful, that, that um, conference to be around so many wonderful people with the same, um, the same like-mindedness and love and sharing and caring. Um, if you, you know, I've, I feel so badly that our conference this year is um, online um, that, you know, due to COVID kind of thing, right. it's unfortunate, but, but to get to know and listen to these experiences will still be very, 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 very worth it. Um, but she took me to this conference and she, she wrote, we, we wear a lanyard, um, you know, are you an author? Are you an experiencer? Are you a guest or visitor or whatnot and my lanyard said experiencer and because she had done it for me I probably would have not identified myself as that only because I didn't know how to express it and I remember every time uh, you know I would I would reach up and check that my that the side that said experiencer was turned around because I was so afraid someone might ask me about my experience. Mm -hmm. I was so happy to kind of be hobnobbing. She knew a lot of people um, in this conference, and I was, you know, hobnobbing with um, NDE, you know, rock stars, basically. <laughs> Just wonderful speeches. And at the time, I... Um, Dr. Eben Alexander was there speaking. It was even before his book was out. And I had an opportunity to sit across from him at lunch one day. And he was talking about, it was something that he hadn't shared in his speech, but he was talking about how we would probably, um, you know, we'd love to design our own NDE experience. You know, why are, why is every experience different? They're kind of the same, but they're different yes and that that question was posed to him and uh you know he said you know if i could have created my own experience i would have seen my dad and boy my ears just perked you know that it was like all i needed to hear was here was this because his story is so beautiful it's a magnificent um adventure and I highly recommend um, his book and or listening to one of his talks. But this, between what Dee had given me and what um, Dr. Alexander had shared, I uh, it was like a, a door opening for me to um, explore my own experience. And and I went home and I I have to say I got a little bit angry you know it's kind of like I knew that something had happened to me I knew there was more to my experience than just this darkness this black place I was held and I ask about it I I would pray about it I would cry about it I wanted to know more I fervently wanted my own story you know of all of the beautiful um books that I have read and I made a point of of contacting authors of these books that I just enjoyed and just held precious um, each experience speaking to me but I wanted my own you know where was my story in all of this and it became kind of a point of being a little bit jealous you know was I less than 
everyone else that had these beautiful experiences. Mm -hmm. And, and so I don't know if anger is, is, is the appropriate word, but I sure questioned, you know, what, what the purpose in, in that was, because at, at the time I didn't feel like there was purpose. And I continued to ask, and I would offer here, you know, sometimes it's, it's not that a prayer isn't, isn't answered just because it isn't answered immediately. You know, if we show signs of continued questioning and, and a quest and a, and a true heartfelt desire to know more, the universe will answer us back and in the time that is appropriate. And I think I was just busy with, you know, other life stuff. And until I really got on my knees and just, um, I want to know, please, you know, please help me. I began to have the most beautiful, lucid dreams of, um, you know, and call them memories um, that were just coming back to me. I would just wake up and just start writing of what, where I had been and what I had learned or what I had experienced. Um, I, I learned and, and um, met my guide through my dreams. Um, it, I would be having a, you know, just your regular kind of call. I call them sand dreams, just regular, you know, go, go about your business kind of dreams, the kind that you generally don't remember in the morning. Um, but somewhere in the dream, I would have a, like a, like someone in a weird costume holding up a, a sign, like a billboard. Some of them had lights around them and everything. I mean, it was be this flashing and it would say, pay attention to this. And I would look at who was holding up this sign and they were in the most crazy getups. You know, um, uh, one was like, look like Mrs. Doubtfire, just entirely (laughs) wrapped up in, in tool, you know, that, um, wedding type fabric. So I didn't see a face. I just saw this crazy hat and getup or one was, like the Texaco man and a bow tie and the, and the pressed khaki slacks. And, you know, it was, it didn't fit into the regular dreams. And I, I finally put it together that this was my spirit guide and it was time for me to start paying attention and start remembering what had happened to me on the other side. And, uh, I started writing my dreams and, Delving even further into um, my own experience, others' experience, and um, sorry, I lost my train of thought. No, I just, I'm just hanging on every word. <laughs> I love, oh, thank you, thank you. Well, as I was receiving um, these things, and I knew that 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 uh, what had happened to me in the in this void. Um, was a protection of me that I was absorbing so much. You know, it was like, I, you know, I, I think you've heard this um, before when it's, it's like there's an entirety of knowledge there. Um, it's an ocean of knowledge. And you've got basically the equivalent of, of a paper cup, you know, to carry it all back in. Mm-hmm. Um, there was so much there that um, 
sorry, this part makes me cry. It's okay. The um the gift of the paper cup to be, to be able to have carried what back what I did, but my dreams allowed me to examine each droplet of what was held in that paper cup and each droplet was the essence of the entire ocean and it was it was the opportunity for me to bring back the entirety of the other side um and i i feel so honored and blessed to have have this opportunity i i I dream of being in spirit school is what I call it, um, where, where think lessons are even, um, you know, tonight we're going to learn cause and effect or <laughs> just amazing, but I, it's, uh, it's labeled as a, uh, metaphor or a parable. I'm a storyteller. I think, um, you know, the best way to, to, to share our experiences and remember them as through story. Yes, I agree. And this is how, yeah. And, uh, but, but there was careful, there was much care in reminding me that these, that it wasn't exactly the way it is, but this was the best way to explain it so that I could, um, understand it. And so, um, I have written um, uh, so many journals full of of dreams, not knowing exactly what what it was I was supposed to do with them, but I knew that they were a treasure trove of the wonder of of the other side. And I thought, well, maybe my son or someone um, who's interested in that, there's plenty in my family who are not. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. a, a little bit on this, uh, this uh, adventure by myself almost. Um, and that was another, you know, Sandra, that was another thing that, um, that held me back is, you know, we're afraid of, of the ridicule or, you know, just someone maybe looking at you sideways as you try to share some of these and you want to share, you know, it's, it's, it's like the most exciting, wonderful thing is happening to you. And, you know, you're supposed to keep it to yourself. You know, you want to scream it from the, the rooftops. And, um, so my writing was, was my safe place to share. And, uh, I just kind of noted in a will, it's like these these journals will go to my son and he can do with them what they will. But another very close friend of mine, um, Charlene Daniels, um, she would say, you've got a book in you. And I'd be like, uh, no, not, not me. (laughs) I'm not a Mm -hmm. writer. I'm not an author. This is, um, but she didn't give up. And one night I did dream of my spirit guide, um, he pushed a computer into my lap and said, come on, it's time. And I knew what he was talking about because Charlene had prepared me for this time. And I didn't even know how to go about, how do I put my, these experiences in spirit school and, you know, and they were, they were all separate, beautiful stories and how, you know, I, 
I was conditioned, you know, in reading these experiences to have a a beginning and a middle and an end, you know, right. <laughs> it's kind of like, and, and mine, well, it kind of had a beginning, but I think I was stuck in the middle and I, with, you know, still to this day, there hasn't been a sign of it ending. And, um, I was shown it, it was okay to just put it in, in these story forms and contain them in, in chapters that, um, you know, of, communicating with the other side or um, letting go of fear or um, offering service. In fact, that's an interesting um, event that happened as I, as, as I was continuing to push away. Um, I was working very hard in my yard. I lived in Colorado and I, I didn't just want a garden. I really wanted an oasis <laughs> and you know, I'm, I'm lifting, carrying rocks and bags of dirt and just working away. And one day I heard this, I want to say whisper, but it was loud enough to hear. It was audible to me. I was, there was no, um, no getting around that. I, I heard the word service and, uh, I, I literally dropped the bag of dirt and looked around me at who had said this to me, service. And the rest of the day, I, I wondered, you know, I wasn't opposed to, to offering service. I had done a lot of that in my more um, religious days and within the community and churches and that. But at that point in time, I was pretty much just taking care of me and, you know, uh, into me, so to speak. And I gave it a lot of thought. And what was it that I was interested in what really gave me joy that I could serve others and it came back to wanting to offer um, my knowledge of the other side and I thought you know what well, a perfect work for me would be in hospice and I spent five years in uh, in the hospice uh, well at the hospital Pikes Peak um, in Colorado and on what they called the bridge and the hospital was built. There was, you know, the hospital and then there was kind of a bridge to um, a back portion of the hospital. And this is where the hospice unit was located. But I also understood that this bridge was, uh, um, you know, that crossing that, that in between where mm -hmm. these patients were, were really, um, this is where their life was. They were in the in between and, I have to say, I, I enjoyed, it was the hardest job I've ever done, and it was the most rewarding job I have ever done. Every time, you know, I went in, I came out with so much more than I went in with, and um, I share a lot of the stories of the, the people that I worked with and their exits. Um, it's a sacred, sacred time, and I was I was really blessed to have been able to spend five years in that arena, and I learned so much um, in in offering service. I'm sure you've heard it a million times, Sandra. It's like you know you learn more and gain more when you're giving it away than when you're 
when you're trying to grasp it and bring it to yourself. Absolutely. Claudia, can I ask you in your dreams now? Yeah, I never remember my dreams, even if I try to wake them up, were they, they must have been very clear and visual. And it almost sounds like you've been downloading information mm-hmm. that you're able to recall and write down. Is that right? Yes. Um, as I was saying earlier, it just seemed like at in the beginning, I would be just in a regular dream. And I know that my guide was really helping me to be to learn how to become lucid within them so that I could recall that I would pay attention. And then they were, they were downloaded as a kind of as a story, something that basically I just had to get up and just write. I didn't have to put it together. It, I wrote it down as it was offered. And that's how I recorded them in the book as well. Um, I don't offer opinions of what they mean, because I think people can draw their own uh, opinions from these stories of, you know, um, my first book, um, I wanted to be very careful not to step on toes. I had so much to offer that was being offered to me that I was the conduit to to um, share these wonderful experiences that I was receiving at night. And uh, but I was careful not to, to 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 present them and not give a preaching or you know even say I'm teaching this kind of like, this is how it was offered to me. I hope this is helpful for you kind of thing. And so my first book is very much in, I don't, timid comes to mind, but, it, but it's not a timid book, but it's, it, it's, it's careful book that I think um, anyone would really enjoy the, um, the, and use of word that's used a lot is awakening or acceptance of of um, learning from the other side. You know, one of the billboards that was so um, uh, so big, it had lights around it. It was white background and and big dark words. It said trust, and it was time for me to trust. It was time for me to let go of worrying about what what others might think of me. It was time for me to get to work and share. And so I put out that first book um, in 2017 and um, I thought I was done. It was a hard experience. (laughs) You've written books, you know, (laughs) it's hard. um, It's hard. And as someone that's not within that community or whatnot of knowing publishers or how, how you mm-hmm. do this, I put a book together and then it's like, how do you get it out there? Um, so it's very, um, it, you know, this has all grown very organically. And um, last year, um, at the first of the year, I had the most beautiful dream of, um, and I, I'll, I'll save it for the book because it's so sacred to me that it, I don't know if I can get through it without, um, without tearing up girl. (laughs) But I was, I was shown another book and I literally said no. And then I think I said, hell no, because that first one was hard, but I had so many things in my journal um, so things that um, 
that weren't on the um, more timid side, um, kind of in-your-face teachings. And um, I sat down and was almost like you were using the term downloading. Um, I was shown you need to write the 10 things that I learned when I died. And I sat there with a pen and paper and wrote that in probably 10 minutes. It's at the beginning of my second book, and it flowed. Um, I probably wrote, like I say, I think I wrote it in 10 minutes, and it, within an hour I had um, typed it up and worked on punctuation and whatnot. But I knew that these were things that people needed to hear, and I wanted to put it in a a short form, you know, here's this, here's this. And if you want to know more, you know, it's here, you know, here is the rest of the book to back these up. And so I feel so very blessed, Sandra, that I have um, been shown these things. And the second book was a heck of a lot easier to get out there. I'll well, tell Claudia, you. Claudia, can I ask, there's people here, I'm sure that will uh, get your book off Amazon, but there might be some that don't. Um, mm-hmm. But while we are here together, and given our audience, there's many that have just had a loved one transition or have a have been given a diagnosis that their end may be near because of illness. Could you share with us some of the stories or just some of the things, if you, this is the only time you have with a listener right now, what's, oh, in, what's important that, that from everything that you've gone through that we need to know in your stories. One of the, awesome. Well, one of the, um, one of the stories from hospice, um, was a gentleman that when I walked into the room, I was absolutely shocked at um, how skinny this man was. Um, there, his his legs, everything were just um, ink blue. Um, his entire calf section, and um, there was really no reason for him to be alive. Um, I I wondered, you know, what he was hanging on for, and. His family was in the room. He had a, a wife and a daughter that were kind of standing in the corner. And they, and I came in and, and talked to them and, and then read. They stayed while I read to him and um, gave him some cuff, comfort. But I could tell there was really a rift between, you know, that side of the room and where he was. It was almost a duty to be there, but I don't think either one of them really wanted to. And I, ha- I, I knew that um, I could read in the body language of um, the mother had been in the middle of a situation of this uh, father and daughter and he they had pictures of him in um, in military medals and whatnot and um, I made some kind of comment and the daughter said yeah he's all man whatever you know kind of thing and I really realized that this girl had had a, a hard life with her father and as I as I felt this rift, um, it just came to me, and and uh, I worked there not necessarily as you know changing sheets and whatnot. I worked there on a capacity with a chaplain uh, as a friend in faith, um, not a particular faith, just someone um, you know to talk to. And I found that the work was more important. I think um, in within the family members than it was the patients themselves. And um, 
I could tell that this rift was terrible. And I, I just knew there, I just had a knowing that this gentleman was hanging on because there was, there was something that needed to be said, um, between this daughter and this father before he would let go. And I told them so I felt I'm, you know, I, I didn't feel I was overstepping. I felt like I was representing this patient when I said, I really feel that there is something that needs to be said between the two of you. And, um, you know, in, it, he's going to pass. We all know he's going to pass, but he's hanging on. He's using every last bit of strength to stay here. And I said, I, I'd like you to talk to him. I'm going to leave the room, and I want you, if you have to yell, if you have to put your fists in the air, um, I'm, I'm going to stand by the door and keep everyone out and let you just have at him and let him know that you're unhappy or what it, what it was because it's going to be so much easier in this lifetime to let him know and, and for him to perhaps ask forgiveness or whatnot. And, you know, they, she let go. It was like she had an invitation to share all of that. And I went home thinking of him that evening and kind of wondering if he was still here on, on this earth. And as I went to sleep, um, he came to me and he was in his military gear, but he was in a wheelchair and he was, he had put on some weight. He was still skinny, but he had put on uh, quite, quite a bit more weight, that, um, but he was still weak in the wheelchair. And he gave me a military salute of thanks and I have to tell you, Sandra, it meant everything for this, for the thanks of this man. It gave me the confidence to, to share that, that, of witness of the other side and the things that we can do and offer from this side. Um, I, I also had an inkling a, a couple days ago and I was wondering what I would, might say today, um, is you know there's a there are many people that that are called mediums or psychics or or whatnot. Mm -hmm. This is not my forte. I've had a few experiences um, with my being able to do so, but it's not that's not my purpose, and I don't um, um, I'm not working toward that at at this point. Mm -hmm. um, I I was happy for that experience, but I know that some people. You know, they talk about fear of or whatnot or or shysters or whatever, um, you know, mistrust. And I wanted to offer um, that I a lot of this opening up was assisted by I, I used to go to a in Colorado Springs and one. I know they're all over the place. So the big one in Denver, uh, the psychic shows um, that they have where they bring in. uh uh, you know, all kinds of vendors and and whatnot, and you can kind of walk around, schedule uh, a reading or a tarot card or something. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I would go, I would go to those, but I, it wasn't that I was afraid or even thought that this was against my religion or something like that. I, I think I was afraid that I wouldn't hear what I needed to hear and afford, you know, so I just didn't do it. I would go and I would walk around and I would buy pretty necklaces and little drums or, you know, whatever, um, whatever the vendors were selling. 
but I, I didn't schedule uh, a time for me to talk. And I guess perhaps because I wasn't ready. Um, but one day I just, there was a woman there and I decided I'm going to sit down and see what she has to say. And it's funny, I, I, I found it, uh, it was $20 to get in and I found, no, it was $20 to, um, for 15 minutes or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I had found this $20 in my, in my jeans pocket before I had left. I, I knew that I was supposed to spend this $20 with one of these um, readers. And, and I sat down with one and everything she told me was wrong. It was, I, I was so, you know, she would talk about, um, I see turquoise and I'm like, you know, I don't remember turquoise or balloons. Um, you know, I just, I, I began blocking what she was saying because everything was so off and I was so ready to disprove, you know, this, this was all, you know, scam. (laughs) Exactly. Thank you. I lose words sometimes, but you know, I was so disappointed and I kept saying no that, you know, she says, does this, you know, resonate with you? And I would say, no, it really doesn't. And she says, wow. You know, she was like, well, it's crowded in here. Perhaps I'm getting something from another person or, or whatnot. And, and, uh, I, I walked away from that reading an absolute skeptic, not of not of the other side, but just but just trusting or sitting down and and, and opening myself up to someone um, to connect me to the other side. I mean, I've I've since learned we don't need those. Um, we can connect with the other side. You know, oh, we this is our this is our gift. We can do that. But in <clears throat> I thought about it that entire night and I tried to put it um, out of my mind. And the next day I thought, you know what, I'm going to really think about what did that turquoise mean? What did those balloons mean that she kept talking about? And it didn't resonate. Oh, and she was saying, this is a um, kind of a, do you know, a young man that has passed and you know, I'm, uh, I'm in my late forties at the time and I'm trying to think of who I knew, you know, cause she's a cousin or something like that. And, you know, I was 16 when my dad passed and to other people, and he was very handsome and to other people, he would appear young. He was barely 40 years old when he passed. So he was, he was quite young and he was very energetic. Um, and he would, as a kid or whatnot, he would tease me. He would, um, he'd move things on my dresser, you know, he'd move a brush. I'd be brushing my hair and, and all of a sudden my brush would be missing or the, you know, books would be missing that I was reading or something. Just, just little joke abouts, you know? Mm-hmm. And one day in my kitchen, I was baking cookies. It was super cold. It was kind of during a blizzard in Colorado at one point, And I decided to bake some cookies and I ha- thought I had enough ingredients. I pulled out the eggs and whatnot and at- everything was going wrong. I'd set the measuring cup down and then I couldn't find it again. I had three eggs on the counter and suddenly there were only two eggs on the counter And it took me a while to get it. And I thought, I think my dad 
has been with me in my kitchen playing tricks on me. And, you know, I believed it so strongly that I, I called my mother and I called my sister and, and had two really good conversations of, you know, it was kind of like, oh, sure, Claude, you know, that's whatever, you know, that's really sweet or, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I, I felt so strongly that he had been there. Um, and it had been really the first time that I really had felt him around me since being a young, you know, since his passing. I hadn't dreamed of him or whatnot. So it was really a special occasion to me. And uh, so after this psychic fair and I was washing dishes that morning and I was going, I need to give this a second shot and really think about what what did that turquoise mean and what, you know, what did those balloons mean? And I looked down at the at the dish that I was washing was a large mixing bowl and it was turquoise blue. And the sides of the it was it was my grandmother's and it had all kinds of old fashioned flying machines and um balloons, uh, you know, <laughs> uh all over it, all over this mixing bowl. And I pulled it out of the water with absolute knowing that my dad had been with me that day. And he was describing this beautiful antique bowl that I was using to cook with. And he was trying to show me he had been there and he had played those tricks on me. And I held this wet bowl in my arms. I, I, I held it like it, like I was hugging my father and I wanted the privacy to just sit and cry and in the knowing that he had been there. And I went into my office. I was, am, am a real estate agent. And I was um, being representative by Remax at the time. And Remax's big um, advertisement, you know, their symbol isn't a hot air balloon. Right. And I had... Um, I, I noticed as I held this turquoise bowl with the flying machines on it, and I looked up as if I was looking, I wanted to look up to the heavens like I had seen him, you know, to, to look for him. And I noticed on my wall were the certificates and um, with these hot air balloons all over the certificates that hung above my head. And I knew that my dad was trying to show me that he was with me all these years, all of these years, and that my my skepticism in um, allowing um, this reader to, you know, to confirm what was happening and, you know, to allow me to, to understand and trust and let go and, and feel the reading, um, that was all me. It was all me. And I, to know that he had tried for all of these years to to reach me it was it was the a huge opening of of that of that brilliant uh, sign of trust trust and i'll wrap this up of uh, when i asked my guide why why all of this has happened now why some 30 years later Am I experiencing so much after so diligently 
looking for answers and wanting to connect with the other side and then to have this door open and almost on a nightly basis it was like i was given an you know a, a completely different attitude and an allowance of to trust what i saw and what i felt and what i dreamed about um i I felt the strength in my own knowing of what was happening to me. And the more that I, I let go and believed and stopped doubting what was happening, the more was coming in and the more, and I continue this day to, um, you know, to have these wonderful dreams. And I, I ask my guide I, um, in reverence, I, you know, I said, how come, how come, all this time, you know, all of this searching and just like in hearing that when I was told the word service, it was as, as clear as a bell. My answer was, what did it prompt? And I, I have to answer that it, it, it was the right time and it did prompt me to explore that I hadn't been given that story of the perfect near-death experience, the one that I, the one that had a beginning and a middle and an end and a perfect, beautiful book, like I had read. I now had an opportunity to continue and to remember and to be given um, more and more lessons and experiences from the other side. That's what it prompted. And I just feel really um, blessed um, that that was my experience. Claudia, you just emanate that we can handle anything from going Mm. through that horrific, painful experience. And also the fact that prayer doesn't get answered immediately or may not. Mm. But what's possible for us if we? I mean, I'm guessing we all have spirit guides around us. We may not know about it, but that fervently asking and wanting to be shown has opened up something so beautiful, having these dreams for as 7 billion plus people on this planet. We are all unique. We all have different stories, different gifts to share. I'm just wondering for each one of us, if we start really praying and asking to be of service in the best way we can be, to work with our team, you know, what may be possible? Mm. You know, I sat in a, a, getting my hair cut one day, um, and there was a gal, a young gal that, you know, when you get in those chairs and you you share, you know, Oh, you know, this argument with the husband or my kids going through this or whatever, you know how we talk in those chairs. And um, for for myself and this gal, we were exploring spirituality together. And I, as I would find a, a book or something that I thought would be interest, I would bring it with me to share with her. And above... Uh, on the wall near this chair was this big picture of Marilyn Monroe. Um, and, and I said, you know, I had, cause she, she asked something and I said, let me explain, um, 
growing in spirituality this way. I said, right now I feel like I'm at the corner of this picture. And basically, um, it was a, you know, piece of the dresser, you know, a nightstand or something in this picture. And I said, I have, um, so many pieces to the spiritual puzzle and it's beautiful and it's wonderful. And I said, but you also have pieces of that puzzle, but your puzzle may start up here in this corner, or you may have a piece of this cute pink phone that was on the bedstand and then Marilyn's beside it in, in, in all of her glory. But neither one of us can with the puzzles that we have know what this big picture is that we don't know that we're looking at a picture of Marilyn Monroe. And it, it, it really was, um, it, it brought it all home that to me, and I was thinking about this the other night of what I would speak about and, and why even you and I are here together, Sandra. And I really think that as we, um, experience life and, um, because we all have our stuff. Every, you know, we are all loved um, by source and um, equally. And uh, so, not not one of us, not one near death experiencer, is more important than than another. Right. Um, and what their experiences are are pieces to their to that same puzzle, but it may be a completely different piece. And one, one may have a piece of hair and you get where I'm going with, with that. Mm-hmm. And so as you and I sit here and share and to any listeners that I, um, that I'm so grateful um, for you as well, for you to continue to share your puzzle pieces. And I really feel like as an entirety of that, we, as we share with each other, this puzzle will be put together and we'll see, we'll see the meaning of the big picture together. Yeah, that's beautiful. Now at the IONS conference, you're moderating a panel, I think, aren't you? Yes. Uh huh. And do you know who you're being? I'll be with Pat Johnson and Chris Keto. Um, I just listened to Chris's, um, wonderful experience the other night and, um, they, I think it's going to be very, very interesting. Our topic is, you know, how our near-death experience change has have changed our life, and um, you know, these things go very quickly. We we have an opportunity to meet and greet and give a a piece of our story, and um, I, I just think it's going to be very interesting. I wish we had hours to go over it, but that's the importance of what you do, Sandra. Is you know as to bringing us together and letting us express the full experience. And so I'm really grateful um, for this opportunity. Oh, I'm grateful too. It's always a good, good opportunity to share great people. And then our friends at IAMS.org, it's not just the conference. They've been around a long time and there mm. are thousands of stories of near-death experiences. Lee Whitting has a wonderful radio show. Um interviewing people who've had near-death experiences and it's just loads and loads of information at ians.org and you can find out more about claudia at claudiaedge.com claudia thank you so much for being our guest today thank you sandra this has been you know um one time in watching oprah she said something like this is the favorite my favorite thing to talk about 
And I thought, you know what, just rang so true for me. This is the my favorite. I, I have 10 beautiful grandchildren, but this is my favorite thing to talk about. So for this opportunity, thank you very much. You're so welcome. And I just am really left with that paper cup that you got. And then there's the ocean. So through the dreams, mm. you're sharing the ocean in your books. Thank you so much. And to our listener from the bottom of my heart, and Claudia's, thank you for taking the time to listen today. All past episodes are available at we don't die radio.com. Also, the last 100, I think, are on iTunes, and they're all on YouTube. If you go to the website, we don't die radio.com, and you click on joining my ma- mailing list, it's called the Insiders Club. It says, get a few chapters of Sandra's book. Well, here's the secret it's the whole book. <laughs> when you start <laughs> reading it, there's also a very healing audio called How to Survive Grief. Um, if you like audio books on that site, it says store. And if you find the We Don't Die um, book, the audio book there, just type in coupon code free, F-R-E-E. We've recently added a calendar to that site. We have online demonstrations of all kinds, courses. We now do a Sunday non-denominational service that at the end we have uh, mediums give demonstrations of mediumship. It's like no other service you've ever attended. It's just what we needed to create for ourselves and um, several thousand people tune in weekly. And I love that all guaranteed to inspire. If you're a Facebook user, type in we don't die listeners. And like um, Claudia said, you know, we don't always have people in our life we can talk to about this stuff. And you can meet some great people. In fact, just after the Sunday service, we do a, a Zoom chat, and then we just meet face to face and just say hello. So it's important to have friends in our life that we can share this with because not everybody believes or is interested in hearing these stories. We understand. So in closing, my name is Sandra Champlain, and I'm always so delighted to be your host on We Don't Die Radio. I do believe life is an education for the soul. It's not meant to be easy. Uh, There's big time lessons to be learned. That's all growth for our soul. But this life here on earth is important. And like Claudia said, trust and believe you know, we can let go some of the the big expectations we have. You are unique. You are one of a kind. You are so dear and so special. And you are guided. And sometimes it takes that prayer to really say, okay, I'm ready. Here, how do I serve? And be careful what you wish for, because it might show up in some pretty unique ways. But I do say, like Claudia says, she doesn't get tired of talking about this. Neither do I. You will find your best friends, your heart will feel fulfilled uh, once you start this living in this truth. So thank you for listening. And we'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.